Our platform is part of kind of the no code revolution, which empowers anyone, any, you know, usually a subject matter expert or an operations leader uh, to be able to build solutions. Welcome to Uptech Report. This is our Apply Tech series. Uptech Report is sponsored by TerraLeap. Learn how to leverage the power of video at TerraLeap.io. Today, I'm excited to be joined by my guest, Dave Landa, who's based in San Francisco, California. He's the CEO at Kintone. Welcome, Dave. Good to have you on. Great to be here. I'm uh, looking forward to the conversation. Now, Kintone is is a workplace platform, a digital workplace platform. You're focused on helping teams making them more productive. And we'll unpack that in, in a little bit, but help mm-hmm. me understand, Dave, what's the problem that you see in, in the marketplace? Yeah, I think there's there's two core problems that we're looking to solve. One is really just a resource problem. Uh, there tend to be, and there has been for a long time, a shortage of developers. And our platform is part of kind of the no-code revolution, which empowers anyone, any, you know, usually a subject matter expert or an operations leader uh, to be able to build solutions, uh, custom fitting their process, operational database needs. So one is, you know, kind of filling that gap where there's, you know, never enough developers to build solutions that organizations need. The other one, which I think is deeper and more broadly kind of societal in nature, is actually access to information. And we're very focused on that issue of empowering individuals in an organization with the information they need to be able to have um, the power to make decisions, the insights to make decisions, but also just the the ability to know what's going on and be a part of the solution. So we feel like getting information access to the right people at the right time is essential in creating essentially new organizations that are much more empowered. And that's kind of our deeper, our deeper effort. So the two, two pieces there, one, you say a lack of enough developers or just you want to build things. There's, there's a big demand and need to, to build things with your data, but you don't have developers. And the other is just an increased transparency and a, the ability for more people to get access to, to data. We'll we'll come back to how you guys are solving that. You shared a little bit already, mm-hmm. but I, I, for those who've listened to our series, I always like to hear the journey because that's part of it, getting to the, how you built the solution today. You, you've yeah. been um, with, with Kingdom for, for seven, seven years, but it's actually part of a, a, the parent company in Japan, correct? That's right. That's right. So uh, Kintone Corporation in the U.S. was established back in 2014, and I was the first hire here. But the parent company, Saibos, which in Japanese means cyber kid, was actually established in 1997. Uh, three very young uh, engineers uh, kind of leapt out of Panasonic at the time to build a, um, a, a office productivity suite. Uh, a software. Think of calendars and task management and the like. Um, of course, back then it was an on-premise solution, um, but they they definitely created something that 
touched a, a nerve and was very popular uh, in Japan back then. Company actually went public in 2000. At the time, the fastest company in Japanese history to go from inception to IPO. Uh, so they they were on a very fast track. Um, went public, had a lot of money, started buying a lot of companies. Wanted to really make a, you know a, become this this very large organization with lots of different moving parts. Um, the original mission was to make teamwork better. Um, and we still honor a version of that. Our, our current mission is to build a society brimming with teamwork. So it's a little bit bigger, a little bit broader. And that speaks to that, that second problem I was talking about. But what, what happened um, with Saibozu after being very aggressive and a young kind of uh, freshly minted uh, public company got very aggressive um, on the acquisition side and had a culture and a mentality of uh, very hard charging, working around the clock. Um, and about four or five years after that IPO in the mid 2000s, kind of had a bit of an existential crisis. Uh, um, huge turnover rate, almost 30%. Uh, folks were not happy, right? Um, there was almost every week there was a going away party going on. Um, and leadership actually, uh, you know, huge kudos to them. They took a step back and really deeply thought about what's the purpose of this organization? Why are we doing this? What do we want to actually get out of it? And they really transitioned at that point to a focus on people, uh, a focus on um, flexible work styles. They actually came up with the concept, a hundred different people have a hundred different work styles. And that was back in 2005. And for the last 15, 16 years, uh, much of the HR, much of the company culture has been based off of that initial concept. Um, and after about, honestly, three, four years of relative stagnation from a business perspective, but a really significant drop in the turnover rate, uh, the company essentially turned the corner, got below 5% in turnover, uh, I think in 2010, and have been there for the last 11 years, and as well, uh, moved to the cloud right around that same time, 2010, 2011, uh, maintained that super low um, turnover rate, and revenues have just uh, been accelerating uh, and the business has been accelerating since. Um, so that's, you know, kind of a, a nutshell of the parent company. Right. Uh, and it was focused specifically on the, on, on the, the market, uh, Japanese marketplace or Asia, Asia, Asian marketplace. When did it was Kintone was the first leap, leap out of that? Actually, uh, they established, the parent company established uh, an organization in China first, um, went to China um, with one of the uh, initial couple of software solutions that they'd created, um, which are not no code, um, are not the same as Kintone. We have a couple of uh, older uh, legacy solutions called Garoon and Office. And they moved into China uh, about six years before coming to the US. So I think about 2008, um, established there and, and have built up a business there that originally was based off of um, non-Kintone 
solutions, but now is primarily Kintone. So Kintone was launched along with the transition to cloud in 2011 in Japan, uh, but it was launched in Japanese, Chinese, and English, but it was only really promoted in China and Japan initially. Um, and it. so it was, it was about four years of constant iteration, SaaS platforms are constant sort of improvement that I think they felt ready to, to move into the global market and come to the U.S. in 2014. So 2014 comes along and, and you join the team, but let's, let's actually, I'm curious also your journey. Have, have you been in technology as well as years <laughs> before? And yeah, um, yeah, I had. Um, so I'd been in, well, going way back right out of school, I was in hardware technology. I worked for a company called Silicon Valley technology that made computer motherboards. And I was uh, actually headed up the Taiwan country office, uh, mostly procurement, but a little bit of business development as well there. Um, and so that was hardware, but that was a long time ago. That was, I'll date myself. That was early nineties. Um, but starting in uh, the 2000s, I moved back to the States. I spent about a decade in Asia uh, and then moved back to the States in 2000. And from that point on, I've been in software as a service. So I worked for a few different uh, companies, uh, one uh, active network, which uh, kind of joined at uh, sort of uh, mid-level. We went public uh, while I was with the company and did uh, strategic business development with them and a couple other kind of SaaS startups uh, in a couple of different spaces prior to joining uh, Kintone in 2014. So you come to, to, to this opportunity like, hey, we want you to lead the America <laughs> division of, of Kintone. You're like, yes. <laughs> well, I was, I'll be honest, I was a little bit hesitant um, because I was uh, aware of the challenges historically uh, that uh, software companies, um, in particular Japanese software companies, had in going beyond their shores mm -hmm. and expanding out uh, hardware, great cars, you know, uh, music, what what's have you. The Fantastic. difference then, like, what's what? What comes to software? <laughs> why is that a robot compared to well, hardware? I, I I think what uh, what Cybo's uh, credit to them, and also what I recognize was essentially, you know, a, a fundamental difference in UI expectations mm -hmm. um, that I think uh, there was actually Cybos back in 2004, 2005 did set up a representative office in the U.S. and tried to sell their original product into the U.S. and had some challenges, recognized that there was a cultural difference in terms of that UI uh, expectation, but they didn't have a platform that was customizable at the time. Uh, mm -hmm. So they kind of pulled back, realized that, you know, there's a challenge here. Um, but our founder, uh, Aono-san, was kind of determined to go global with his vision. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he recognized that to go back into the U.S. market and, and essentially outside of Japan uh, needed to provide an opportunity for the UI to align with or fit with the cultural realities and expectations of, of different countries. And so the very basis yeah. of a customizable interface actually lends itself to a global expansion. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And, and I think uh, that was so my initial hesitation around, you know, that concern was was quickly evaporated 
when I uh, went into my first free trial accounts before I had joined the company to kind of check it out and start playing around with it. And I was really amazed and astounded about how quickly I could create a, a you know a nice operations solution, a custom solution, and how like deep it went as I peeled back the onion and the layers of the things I could do with it as a non-coder. It was really quite astounding. So the product caught me first. Um, but then I started learning more about the culture too. And by that time, by 2014, they're about almost 10 years into this cultural transformation as an organization. And so a lot of thought leadership had already been put into this. And so I was kind of the beneficiary of a lot of really interesting um, and quite compelling and inspirational effort around company culture. Can you, can you give me like a, a tactical element? Like what, what did you see that, that helped you recognize this culture? Well, just a, a very progress, uh, progressive mindset around um, HR, number one. I talked about the, you know, 100 different uh, people have 100 different uh, work styles. So that is, you know, uh, the way that worked itself out uh, sort of culturally within the organization was number one, our, our founder and CEO became known in Japan as the CEO Papa because he's the only, to this date, still the only CEO on the Tokyo First Stock Exchange to have ever taken paternity leave. And he's actually done it three times now. Um, wow. so, so, so that kind of walk in the talk. Also, the way they encouraged folks um, to do either part-time or hold second you know, jobs and provide sort of their... Um, the work to Kintone and the devotion to Kintone that kind of fit their needs, as it were. Uh, so very flexible in that regard. Also, you know, a lot of focus on, on gender equality. Pretty amazing for a Japanese company, a Japanese technology company. When I joined, they were about 40, 45% female, um, which was like astounding. Um, and it was really because of this, these progressive values, which were very... I don't know if at odds is the right phrase, but unique for Japan and even unique for the U.S., honestly, uh, just how, how deep it went. And what was really interesting to me was how that company culture was, was not only aligned with, but actually supported by the Kintone product platform. And there was a really interesting connection there that there, you know, 10 years ago, we're already promoting the fact and, and utilizing ourselves internally that um, by having this, this uh, collabor collaboration platform that enabled folks to be able to build custom solutions to kind of manage their own operations anywhere, anytime with whatever level of permission or access that you need, it enabled this type of remote work, this flexible work style, people being able to work asynchronously because the, the data is all there, the communication is all there in one place. And so it really like what I found really compelling was this meshing of culture and product that was, that was really appealing to me. And, and again, like inspirational. Um, so you see all these elements that, that, that map together Mm -hmm. of one, uh, bringing it to a, a different global market, uh, 
not much of an issue because the interface, but also the culture behind it, you resonate with, you saw it and the product itself actually reflected elements of it. So you're saying, yes, let's do it. 2014, they, what do they, they give you, here's money, go launch it. Like what, what did it look like? Well, well, we actually had, I was the, very much a, ben- a beneficiary again of the fact that one of the, the board of directors, um, uh, Osamu Yamada and one of the leading sort of thought leaders uh, around the the cultural transformation. Um, he actually was stationed in the U.S., so he came over, and so we kind of started this together as a partnership. Uh, he and I, um, and he was absolutely essential in sort of managing the relationship with the you know the parent company. Um, and so I was, I could remain really focused on building the business here in the U S building our team, uh, finding partners, figuring out our strategy and our channels. Um, and, and he helped with all of the sort of communication. I don't speak Japanese. Uh, I actually speak Chinese. That's so kind of ironic. <laughs> yeah, you said 10 years, you said. It, For 10 yeah. years, I lived in the greater China region. I speak. Well, Mandarin, you don't speak Japanese. But I don't speak Japanese. So sort of sort of odd. But Osamu is is bilingual and he was and he was great in being that kind of, uh, you know, he, he would be able to provide all the sort of communication back and forth. Um, so. So, yeah, we you know, I wouldn't say we were funded the way, you know, a typical Silicon Valley VC funded company was funded. We didn't go uh, overboard, massive hiring and massive investment right off the top. We were, we were definitely um, persistent uh, and consistent, uh, a little bit um, uh, conservative initially until we knew we had something and we, and we kind of figured out what our messaging would be and our, and our channels and our markets, uh, would be, um, if basically take the first couple of years, 2014, 2015, 2016, like figuring that out, what, that, figuring is that, what that out, trying different approaches, you know, seeing, uh, okay, should we go through, you know, should we target enterprise right off the bat? Should we just go after SMB? Should we try to do self-serve more? Or should we be more involved in the process of creating solutions? You know, there's a lot of, a lot of kind of um, different, ideas we tried and different approaches to the market that, that we, uh, that we took to try to try to find our space, find our niche. When you look back at the seven, eight years that it's been um, seven years, mm-hmm. if you go back and tell yourself something that, you know, now mm-hmm. uh, through the, through this journey, what would you go and say, tell yourself? I think uh, in the early days um, probably should have, leaned more on the culture side than we did uh, to utilize that early on as part of our messaging and part of our approach uh, because we're finding it it's unique it resonates and there is a deep connection with the product and I think in the early days honestly although it resonated with me and we talked about it internally we didn't we didn't really, uh, push it out there externally. Um, and so we were kind of battling with a lot of other players in the space, specifically on features and functions. Um, and we didn't have a, a bigger vision uh, uh, of what we were trying to bring to the market. And I think, you know, in a way that helped us be very quick and nimble and and try different things without um, major changes, I guess, uh, overall. 
but, but I, you know, as I think back, I think that actually would have helped us if we had leaned into that, um, that value, uh, leaned into that unique characteristic that, that we had. The thought of using, yeah, your own values or culture as, as a defining element in your own marketing efforts and saying, this is who we are. Um, I'm wondering how many companies actually think about that versus, oh, here's our product. It's better. Here's, here's the technology. It's just, it's, once you use it, then you'll understand it versus how your approach and the purpose yeah. that it exists. Yeah. I mean, I think obviously when it gets down to brass tacks and sales folks are doing demos, you know, you got to have, you got to have the features and functions, right? You got to, you got to be able to, to solve problems. Um, you have to be able to, uh, to create the types of solutions that, that clients need. Um, but I think at least at, uh, at a high level of messaging and kind of getting above the fray, um, I think, you know, having that unique value proposition that is very much aligned with who you are and what your culture is, I think is, is meaningful. Coming back to the problem that you, yeah. you stated right early on, yep. let's start with one, the, well, the transparency concept, I think nicely aligns with, with your values, with the fact that you want everyone to have access. Yeah. So that, that definitely ties with it. The need for developers or rather we need, we have all this information. We need new ways to code it. Did you see that? Was there a demand for that back in 2014 or, or is that a more recent push and desire? There was definitely a lot of education going on in the early, back in 2014 around that. You know, I think, I think there was a general concept of what like no code was some SaaS solutions you could already you know, build things and configure things. But the idea of creating a database solution, adding, you know, business process management to it, having uh, the collaboration with notifications and such. So creating a, a full sort of from scratch solution was not that prevalent, right? Uh, was not, is, was not, is Excel is an Excel spreadsheet, right? Is yeah, that, is that... basically, yeah, like an Excel spreadsheet, you know, was was what people were doing, right? They were starting with, okay, I want to put some data in here, I got to store this. Oh, now I want to like share this and communicate around it. Um, it would be nice if I could manage access a little bit easier, you know. So once people start using Excel as like some sort of process or for reporting or for collaboration, that's where things get pretty messy and, and ugly. But it's remarkable how many organizations even today are still are still doing that and, and caught in the throes of that. Um, but to, to your question, there was education. It wasn't well known. There were there were some, I'd call them low-code platform providers that were very focused on the on the um, uh, enterprise market who were getting traction in those early days already, um, dealing specifically with IT leaders in organizations, just to make the, the custom development process uh, quicker and easier using some devices of, uh, of configuration, of abstraction, um, but not like a full-on kind of no-code platform that was somewhat foreign to folks. And it did take a few years of, of education um, and uh, people hearing about it and experiencing it and trying different, you know, different platforms and different versions. Mm -hmm. there, I guess there's multiple ways one could, 
could buy a SES or, or a solution of off the shelf is cheap. It's just what it is, but that doesn't get customized. Then you have the, the no code or low code be able to customize and then perfectly get customized where you're, then you're bringing developers and then they're, they're creating it. Yeah. Is it, I guess there's a use case for each one of those, but you guys are just, are solely focused on that middle one. We are smack dab in the middle. Absolutely. That, that is really the, the big gap that we saw and continue to see um, between the off the shelf um, point solutions and, you know, the, the custom development expensive time consuming when you want to update it, it's time consuming again, if you can get the developers, you know, to work back on it. Um, so we are very much in the middle where you can, um, you can create a custom solution. Uh, you can uh, very rapidly iterate on it. Um, can you give me like a use case? Let, let's just, let's actually play about uh, play it out for a second. If you can yep. think of one, even a case study of a customer, what does it look like? Yeah. So you know, it's it's interesting. We have. I was just looking at this today uh, from our customer base. Uh, if you look at it from an industry perspective, we have in our customer base, we, we have over uh, 21,000 clients globally. Um, and if we look at our customer base in the U.S., we have not a, uh, not a single industry represented uh, over 5%. Um, so our top 10 industries uh, where we have use cases, uh, all are within like 4.9 and 3.8% of, uh, of, of our customer base. So, so, it's, you, so that tells you something from an industry perspective. And, and interestingly enough, um, the, the use cases are similarly diverse, um, but there are a few, um, a few consistent elements. Um, so, you know, number one, obviously, you know, someone's dealing with data, a database uh, of some sort. Uh, they've got a team that they're managing or is managing that data in some way. And it's going through some sort of process um, of approval or of review or of um, completion, whatever, whatever it may be. So as long as you have those three kind of core elements, database, process, and sort of team collaboration needs, then you know, we can be a pretty good solution. Um, and you don't have something that perfectly fits off the shelf. And you, it's not something that you're going to get a team of developers to work on custom because it just doesn't make sense to, to, to go that deep on it. Um, so uh, in terms of you know, a real use case example, uh, we can take like retail. So organization looking to launch uh, a whole bunch of stores around the country uh, within partner stores, for example. So kind of store within the stores. They were looking to manage the whole process of uh, identifying store opportunities with this you know, series of partners, um, contracting for those store within the stores, um, procuring the equipment and the furniture to go there and get delivered, um, managing the approval of the setup, uh, managing the delivery of the product into those store within a store. And then uh, that was kind of the, the initial thought, right? And so there was nothing that was really clean and well-fitting that particular need in the market as a, uh, as a point solution. 
And they needed to do it quick because they were going from 50 to like 1500 in the next 18 months. Um, and so they needed to build something really fast that could, that could grow and expand with what they were going to do. They didn't know all of their requirements uh, because it was going so rapidly and they didn't know how much they were going to fit into it. So they started with, okay, we need a database of all of our potential stores. And then that needs to roll into the ones that become actual stores. And then we need to figure out, okay, what are we going to procure and when are we going to send them and who's, you know, approving the, the purchases, you know, the, the purchase orders, who's approving and accepting those when they arrive, who's approving once they're set up that the store is in good shape. So all of these things, it's a classic example of like, we know we need something that's going to be centralized. We know we need something that's really agile. Um, and we also need to have pretty significant permission controls. So if we want a vendor to have access to this database, so we know what the status is and they can tell us when something is being shipped and when it should arrive, and we want it in one central place, we only need them to see part of this overall database, right? And then we have a partner, these different partners. Well, we don't want this partner to see all of our stores with this other partner and the details there. So knowing that you have those type of permission controls, knowing that you can manage various different processes, you can have it in one central location, create dashboards for different levels of management and folks who need to see what's going on at any given time. Um, that's, yeah, and, and you need to be able to do it on the fly. Changes need to be done on the fly. Fields need to change. Processes need to change. People need to change. And you need to have, you know, uh, uh, an operations manager who can do most of that. Mm-hmm. Um, not, a, not having to go back to developers because the developing time is so dear and so difficult to get your hands on, right? The need for solutions like this and all done remotely where the teams can collaborate, see the information, change the operating procedure and system on the fly is, is only increased. Yay, COVID. Um, and as well as then the options out there to do this. So when you when when I think of the other solutions out there, uh, Monday or Airtable or things like that, how how do you perceive yourself in the marketplace then? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's a a rapidly growing market from, from a a customer and use case standpoint and awareness standpoint, but it's obviously a rapidly growing competitive landscape as well. Uh, Lots of folks are jumping into the space. I think um, in most cases still starting to change a little bit now, but for the first, you know, five or six years I was in the space, most folks in our space had kind of an origin story um, that was either database or BPM. Um, and those were most of them was either, we're, you know, we're, we're an online database and now we're going to try to expand into managing process, managing team collaboration. And generally you could go and look at these different solutions out there and, recognize, okay, this is what they're strong at, but these things, not so much. We actually came from this collaboration origin. um, And that's what we started with. Our other solutions were very much focused on team productivity, team communication. Um, And so a lot of that went into our our platform, the Kintone platform. And um, 
but from the very beginning, we knew that process and database were critical as well. Um, so, so I think initially we, we were able to differentiate ourselves from the fact that we're really all about supporting teams. A lot of other folks in this sort of no-code platform or no-code solution space were about either creating apps, you know, it didn't really matter what sort of you know, platform they went on. It didn't matter who was accessing them, um, right? Or it was about process. You know, we can create a good, you know, business process, uh, management flow, workflow. And then, you know, in terms of data, managing database or managing teams, those are kind of afterthoughts, right? Um, I think when you look at like Monday and Airtable, kind of more relatively newer entrants, I think relative to some of the other folks out there, um, they definitely came at it from a um, kind of a, an enhanced spreadsheet perspective, mm-hmm. um, right? So recognizing the issue with Excel, and I think we all in our space recognize the issue with Excel and, and are thankful for all the problems that people have with, with Excel these days. Um, but I think they, you know, those guys definitely are, 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 are pretty firmly from that perspective, I, I think. Um, and then, you know, additional things that they add in um, have come after the fact. Um, and, you know, they have nice, nice interfaces, absolutely great UI. Um, I think where we, where we stand out uh, in addition to sort of the collaboration DNA uh, is the fact that we have been at it for 20 plus years and we've been able to bring in a lot of functionality and features that are, like I mentioned earlier, there's layers to it. You don't get overwhelmed when you first go in there, but if you need to do something like you have three levels of, of access controls and permission controls, that sort of thing, um, we've got really interesting, um, we call them uh, lookups and, and connected uh, apps where we kind of connect different apps uh, amongst one another uh, to create just, just greater reporting, uh, better interaction of data. Um, and we and we we've built a, a bunch of uh, you know plugins and additional pieces that can be uh, added on to the platform. So I think those things uh, help us uh, still stand out. Um, but again, like for us, it's it has a lot to do with the comprehensive nature of the solution. Um, so a lot of times we do start with a particular problem that we help solve for, for an organization. But as they recognize the sort of the overall capability and the overall, I'll say, philosophy of the platform, they start to recognize that, yeah, this is about, this is about information access. This is about empowering team members to be able to do what they need to do whenever, wherever uh, they can. And it's, and it's even, you know, it's even deeper uh, in terms of like, distributing and decentralizing sort of decision-making and processes. And the more we can support that from a, from a team digital workplace perspective, um, you know, the, the, I think the more we're differentiated and, and, and the better off we are. It's this layered approach so the, the base being your where you came from of your this culture that you're saying this desire for transparency for people to be able to come in and see all the data be able to work with it then come up to already from the beginning you've been focused for 
or both pulling from your communication background or team collaboration from 20 years ago, but also from 2014 focused on this building a no code or low code solution that is building the apps, not building a spreadsheet and then add that ability later. It's like going straight to the root of that, that, that issue. Mm -hmm. Um, It's interesting then, then your, your person, what do you see is the, the, the future of the space uh, of, of, what is it going to look like in, in two, three years from now? Yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting. Um, you know, I've been having a handful of conversations with different folks about this and, and it feels to me like we're at a, at a point in which we're kind of transitioning into a new era uh, of, of cloud, a new era of SaaS. I think, you know, you can tie and even software for that matter, you, you know, Early era, the kind of ERP, the big behemoth, monolithic, you know, software solution that, you know, you had all the data in one place, you had everything there, but it was a nightmare to try to pull stuff and use stuff. And, you know, it was, it was really challenging. Um, And then SaaS came around and you had these great point solutions, you know, best in class solutions for individual needs in an organization, CRM, you know, um, marketing automation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think what you've seen over the course of the last you know, 10, 12 years is so much siloing of data. Um, you know, you, you're certainly folks on the integration side, the API, you know, hubs that are trying to, to respond to this, but it's just, it's just something that is, is, continuous. Um, and there's so many organizations with, with uh, such disconnected data. Um, and it really is a matter of there being so many different disconnected point solutions that have been developed over the years um, that it feels like there's a really strong impetus right now to move to a more centralized solution but that is like super customized for specific industries, specific companies. Um, Mm. And so um, I can see where there will be um, solutions that will be able to provide uh, kind of that initial ERP centralization of data, but the benefits of the best in class for specific industries that they needed. Uh, um, so marrying the so, two, all the data in one place, but actually easy to access that's, that's customized to your approach in your industry. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I think the security issues are screaming for this type of, you know, centralization. I think, just inefficiencies and lack of productivity uh, are screaming for these types of, uh, you know, centralizations. Um, You know, it's amazing. Some of the stats coming out in terms of individual workers, how many different apps they go in and out of on a given day. Um, You know, obviously a lot of this, uh, this, this uh, single sign on uh, work that's being done is, is part of this. But I think there's more, and I think it gets deeper, um, and, and I think that's the direction I see software going, and I think that uh, is is the direction that our industry, as well, the no code space uh, is, is is or should be going. 
the type of person that you're you're often serving um, that ends up like signing up for your platform and who they what, what do they look like? What, who are they? Um, depends on the size of the organization, but a lot of times it's going to be it's going to be operational leaders or or operational managers. Um, sometimes it's company leaders who are looking for you know, who have heard the message and are looking for a comprehensive solution to kind of manage their business as it grows um, uh, as much as possible in a centralized framework. Uh, but a lot of times it's going to be individual um, department or division leads uh, or individual group leads who have uh, an operation that is becoming unwieldy and cumbersome on whatever platform they're using, be it Excel or something else. And they need a solution to that particular issue. Um, if, if you think of one of these, these leaders was yeah. operational leader, department leader, and you were to, to give them a word of wisdom in their job in this, in this mindset of, of shifting to, mm. to well, not specifically about your platform, but of just this way to work. Yeah. Uh, what would you share with them? So uh, we talk a lot about um, lightweight management and empowering uh, your team members to make decisions, uh, to raise problems, uh, to be a, a part of, you know, any type of, any type of decision. Um, we've done some, uh, just to give you some anecdotes about our, our company in particular, we, uh, our parent company in Japan recently transitioned the beginning of this year, our board of directors from kind of three uh, middle-aged uh, two founders and one, you know, joined the company right after a founder. They were the three members of the board uh, for a number of years. Um, and, you know, we've been talking about this decentralization of, of uh, <laughs> and we're like, well, what's going on on the board level? So finally they said, you know, you're right. We need, we need to change this. Um, so the beginning of this year transitioned to 17 board members, Wow. Ranging in age from like 23 up until you know, in the fifties, um, five women on the board, which went from, uh, you know, instantly the, the highest uh, female representation on a, on a public company board, uh, in, uh, on the Japanese, uh, first stock exchange. Um, and the message was not so much like diversity for diversity's sake, although it became a you know, pretty diverse uh, group, it was the, the message was open information means that anyone who raises their hand to take the responsibility can provide oversight and can actually bring folks to account by asking questions about you know, why we did this, why we did that. And, and our organization internally uses Kintone to essentially open up every strategic, every operational, every tactical decision to the, to the broad team. Unless there's you know, very specific confidential privacy issues at hand, we open it up and we've created uh, decision-making applications that prompts team members to provide their input and provide their feedback uh, before these decisions are made. Um, and so uh, sort of our vision is that all of these organizations be can become much more decentralized by distributing the decision-making responsibility 
um, and authority in that way. Even if you have, you, you, you have to define who's the ultimate decision maker, but if you, if you open up the decisions and the information that's leading those decisions, the decision maker, we believe can ultimately make a much better decision if they're getting feedback and input from a, you know, a, a, a variety of diverse people and backgrounds. Uh, so we try to create that as much as possible in our process. We actually, another thing we've done recently is our founder and CEO has essentially uh, eliminated himself from the, the decision-making process. He's, he's passed his authority back to all of the different GMs of the different departments. So when we have our executive meetings now on a regular basis, the GMs come they present sort of the decisions they're working on, be it budget, be it, you know, changes in the direction. And our CEO and founder provides input, they provide feedback, but it's ultimately up to that subject matter expert, that GM to make the decisions on all of their, on all of their issues. And so we've kind of lopped off the top of the pyramid, if you will, um, and we think it's we think it's working great, and we're in the process of trying to, you know, lower that process step by step throughout the organization. Um, so that was kind of long winded, but but the point is, decentralize uh, the power, empower your people to provide um, insight. You never know where the best ideas are going to come from. You never know where the best inputs are. So open up your information as much as possible and, and you'll be amazed at how, um, great your people are. Right? Yeah. That is a, a powerful insight on the fact that you're, you're doing it, that you're actually, you're, you're, you're not just saying one should do this. You're actually <laughs> trying to implement it yourself. Uh, dog fooding as, as one says, Th- Dave, thank you for, for walking us through both the, the journey of you and, and, and where you've been coming from as well as uh, Saibuzo and, and where Kintone has come from and where it's headed. We're intrigued to see where it goes for those they want to learn more, you can go over to kintone.com. That's K-I-N-Tone, T-O-N-E.com. Looks like you'll be able to get a free trial. It's a product-led growth, so people can just jump right in. Thanks, Dave. Free trial, great to have you on. Also, we'll have one of our platform experts happily uh, help you build out your initial proof of concept uh, solution if, if need be. We're always there. Love- a long size of product-led with with a, a team to make, you ha- make it happen. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Dave. It was great to have you on. Thank you, Alexander. Really appreciated the conversation. Thanks so much. We'll see you all on the next episode of Optech Report. Have you seen a company using AI, machine learning, or other technology to transform the way we live, work, and do business? Go to uptechreport.com and let us know. Mm